Welcome to Ask Dr. Julie Hanks, a safe place for healing conversations that educate and empower you to prioritize your dreams, revolutionize your family, and personalize your faith. I'm your host, Dr. Julie Hanks, a psychotherapist and coach offering online courses and programs to help women all over the world heal themselves and their relationships. Join me here every week as I coach a listener through a specific challenge and empower them with tools to find healing. Hi friends, healing your inner child is the uh, topic for Instagram Live today with Tiffany Rowe, clinical mental health counselor. So I'm waiting for her to join. Feel free to post any questions in the comments that you have about healing your inner child. And this is the theme for my membership community this month. And so if you're interested, join my membership community and we can, we'll dig into how to do this. There's group coaching, there's private Facebook group, lots of other uh, resources for healing your inner child. So I will put the link for that in the comments. Oh, here she is. Tiffany. Hey. Hey, how are you? What's up? I'm good. Good. So, So good to see you. So good to be here. Thanks for having me. I love you. You know I, I love, love you. you. And I am so happy to talk with you about healing your inner child. I know you are so passionate about this. You have a course on it. You yeah. have affirmations. Yeah. Um, and I was I was telling everybody before you got on that this is the theme for my membership community this month. So um, I thought who better to to talk about it than you. So welcome, welcome. Thank you, darling. I love inner child work. My passion started in my own mental health journey. And I consider inner child work one of my pillars of my mental health. Like what that word meant. I had that moment. I was like, (gasps) it called to me. And I think a lot of people listening will feel that like there's something that resonates intuitively about this and is really um, like a visceral message. Your inner child side of you is like, whoa, this is important. So I hope everyone watching can benefit like I have. Yeah. So it was in your own therapy that you kind of discovered this, like, oh, I have an inner child that needs some healing. And how, how old were you when you discovered this inner child? Yeah, I uh, started recovery from an eating disorder at the age of 23, got into therapy. And that's where my passion for mental health started. And I learned a lot of the foundations of what I do as a therapist, yeah. learned about inner child work as a modality to treat trauma and to heal deep pain. It was like vague and in grad school, no one knew what it was. It's not this like real therapeutic technique or real therapeutic theory, but I learned enough to be like, there's something here. And I dug into the research. I dug into the books. I dug into the archives of like people who do know about inner child work. So it's kind of hard to access. That's why I wanted to create a course. I'm glad you're doing a membership topic on it because it's not like, oh, I can find a therapist who specializes in inner child work. It's a little bit niche, but I think there's a lot of power there. You can talk about it in therapy. That's where I learned about it. But really, to be super clear, if you want to find someone who can help you with your inner child, I would recommend someone who does internal family systems therapy. Mm, Love it. I love ISF. Yeah. Yeah. IFS. IFS. Sorry. (laughs) It's um, because it's all about parts work, right? And we all have these different Mm -hmm. parts of us and your inner child could be one of those parts. That's your best bet to find someone who even knows this language. But even then, there's so much nuance into like connecting with younger versions of yourself. Anyway, I'm going off. 
No, you're, this is great. This is exactly, exactly what, what I wanted to hear. So you discovered like, oh, I have this inner child. And what are some of your favorite techniques? Like maybe that people who are watching can do to get started mm. in on their own healing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. There's so many good ones. <laughs> so I'm not even going to start with the beginning. I'm going to start with one that no one's ever heard of. That is wild. This is non-dominant handwriting. Mm. And again, like most therapists are not going to even know what we're talking about. This is weird stuff I've learned along the way. But what I mean by non-dominant handwriting is if you're a right-handed human, you're going to write or draw or create using your non-dominant hands. And what this does is it taps in to the other hemisphere of your brain. So it's similar to like the work we see in EMDR. Fancy word is bilateral stimulation. We're, we're stimulating the different sides of, and hemispheres of your brain. So what we're going to do with non-dominant handwriting is just tap in to new stuff. If you're a skeptic and you think this is weird and woo-woo, trust me, no one is more skeptical or too cool for school than me. Okay? Everything seems lame to me. But I am telling you, sometimes that's exactly what you need to do to have a breakthrough. So non-dominant handwriting. One way to do that is you're going to bust out your dominant hand and say, hi, little Tiffany. Hi, little you. What's up? What's on your mind? Switch hands and just see what comes out. It's hard to explain what can powerfully happen. I and you and Julie all have an idea of like what our childhood screwed up issues are. I'm like, here's my list. Almost always, that's not what happens when I give my inner child a voice. Mm. They have their own pain and their own wounds and their own perspective. So the first time I did this, I'm like, obviously this trauma thing's going to come up. I handed the pen to my inner child, my non-dominant hand, and they were like, hey, our dog died in first grade. Can we talk about that? And I'm like... You're like, what? That's not my trauma. What are you talking like, about? <laughs> okay. I want to be like, seriously? But the most important thing is to say like, yeah, that matters. Let's talk about it because you didn't get to. Yeah. And oh, that's painful for you. And I, as a loving parent, adult human, am writing and holding space, listening, validating, and teaching them what to do with that. Oh, we're going to grieve. You can talk to me about that. Let's journal. Let's write a goodbye letter to freaking Spudnut who died in first grade. The point is we tap into things and then we take responsibility as an adult to feel and deal with it and teach them how to cope with it instead of avoiding and distracting and perfecting and like doing all the crap we do. Love it. Love it. So there's a really good practical exercise to do. So your adult uses your dominant hand, your child uses non-dominant hand, and you kind of have a conversation writing down with your different hands. I love it. I love it. Okay. If people want to find a therapist that you said IFS, internal family systems, what other modalities do you think get at this? I mean, I have my thoughts, but I'm curious what, what you think. Yeah. I think anyone who can do meditation visualization work. So if your therapist is skilled in mindfulness, if they're skilled in EMDR, mm -hmm. they have trauma training inner child work is trauma work so if they do brain spotting they can do emdr if they can do um, hypnosis like if they're used to getting in a visualization mindfulness based thing that's your best bet but i want to like let people know you might go to your therapist and be like hey i want to do inner child work and they won't know what that is because again it's kind of niche but those yeah. 
least have the capacity to understand parts and the younger version of yourself. What would you what would you say, Julie? I would just add to that psychodynamic, like yeah. because that's a huge part of psychodynamic work too. I know that's not kind of as popular right now, but that's a lot of my training is psychodynamic and we go there with younger traumas and, and younger versions of ourselves. So there, someone's saying, have you heard of accelerated resolution therapy? It's roots in EMDR. Yes, I've heard of art and that's also really helpful. Great suggestion. Yeah. So there are certain modalities that therapists are trained in that lean more toward that. So, so Emily's saying art goes well with IFS. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. So there are specific modalities you can look for in finding a good inner child therapist. What other resources do you have, Tiffany, to kind of support this? Heal- I mean, I know you write, you do a lot of your posts on healing your inner child, which is why yeah. I wanted to bring you on. What are some other resources that you offer that people can, can use to, you know, if they're not ready for therapy, like what's the baby step? So obviously my course, I have 16 courses, but hands down, I am the most proud of my inner child course. It is mm. robust and it is deep and it is 15 years of my knowledge in one place. Cause I'm like, this is too abstract. And like, people don't know what this means. So I made a course that I consider like a one-stop shop to do inner child work. The whole time I'm annoyingly telling you, please get a therapist while you do. <laughs> right. You can't do it all by yourself. There's a lot you, because healing is us and you can go to therapy and never freaking heal. But I really recommend finding like a safe container of someone when trauma boils up, like weird stuff can happen. It can trigger suicidality. It can overwhelm your ability to tolerate. So I really suggest finding a therapist, even if they don't know what the freak inner child work is. You get my course that is like a container to teach you. If you don't want to get my course, go find out who John Bradshaw is. Because that's who I learned everything about inner child work about. He's like an old school pop psychology. All the psychologists in the room are going to roll their eyes. Like He was some of the first psychology that, books that I read was John Bradshaw. <laughs> so you. in the 80s. Um, yeah. Because I'm a lot older than you. So totally, I, am, I am so down with that. <laughs> I had a professor in grad school just like get so aggressively anti John Bradshaw. And I'm like, look, I'm not against modalities of healing. Find something that works for you. If you like energy work, if you like body work, if you like traditional therapy, if you like meds, if you want to do inner child work in a course, I just want to empower people to have the healing they need. So John Bradshaw is like an old school pioneer. Thich Nhat Han has a book on inner child healing. I love that work course my course and mm-hmm. membership is a great place for community support that's what I suggest awesome awesome okay let's talk a little bit more about trauma because yeah. when I know that like when I use the word trauma people have something in mind like some big event that happens to you so let's talk about different kinds of trauma and trauma that maybe people don't recognize as trauma what are your thoughts on like defining trauma and how do people know what what it actually is trauma is anything that has overwhelmed you and you have experienced helplessness horror you're incapacitated your nervous system is in a state of survival events are not what cause trauma you and me can both get in the same car accident and one of us walks away with actual ptsd and the other person walks away without that impact why because events are, one, are not what determine trauma. 
but trauma is a personal experience when your nervous system is hijacked out of its ability to cope mm-hmm. and you are also overwhelmed to a point that affects you long-term and impacts you. That's like my um, Reader's Digest user-friendly definition. Yeah. What that, Julie? Yeah, I would just add to that. It's not always an event. It can be little patterns over a long period of time that create trauma where you feel um, those feelings you mentioned, alone, horror, shame, not good enough. So it can be patterns or events. I would just add that. Yeah. And I think people get stuck on that, that trauma isn't caused by events all the time. And like Mm -hmm. you're in a home of chronic neglect or feeling chronically worthless or feeling like you're not worthy. Maybe an institution has made you feel like who you are is bad. A lot of folks in the queer community just have chronic lifespan trauma from a homophobic world, you know, that are maybe not a specific event, but rather a systemic issue or a a lack of safety. And Mm -hmm. I was listening to know like, hey, if something, if you're carrying something and it feels hard and heavy, we don't have to label it. It doesn't have to be like, that's trauma. That's not trauma. If something's affecting you, it deserves attention. Yeah. So it can be events or patterns or just like you mentioned, systems or the world that we're living in, the family we're living in, the community, religious community, all of those can be sources of trauma. I, I love how you distinguish if it overwhelms you emotionally, mm-hmm. that anything that overwhelms you. And so what are some things that people can do to develop resilience so fewer things overwhelm them? Mm. I hate my answer. Sorry, y'all. <laughs> it sucks. If you don't want things to overwhelm you or be traumatizing, you have to effing feel them. Avoidance is the fuel of trauma. Yeah. And we're not dumb, so we avoid uncomfortable things. It would be weird if you liked feeling this shit. The only way, literally, psychologically, physiologically, to overcome it is to face it, which helps us desensitize and widen our ability to tolerate. We have to get dysregulated and get hijacked and learn how to come back down and learn over time, like, oh, I survived that. I feel like I'm crazy. Turns out I'm not because I'm dysregulated or I'm scared or I'm panicking or I'm regressing in age and I can learn how to get grounded. But I can't do that hypothetically over here looking at it and talking about it. I have to feel into my body and face my shit. Avoidance will perpetuate trauma. The opposite of avoidance is experience. Experience it. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. And I would add experiencing it in a loving relationship, whether that's with yourself or with a therapist or someone that you can love and nurture you through it, that that relational experience of someone witnessing that, whether that's your adult self to your child self or a therapist or some, a friend, someone else. So important. So okay. Important. I just, I just have to interject here. Someone said, also, sorry, Tiff, you're doing this live one day after you, your wisdom teeth. You're so freaking badass. I, I was wondering the same thing. I was almost like, should I check and make sure she's still planning on doing this? Because that's kind of crazy. Look, Are you feeling okay? I I mean, my face is swollen and I got, you know, I'm in the situation, but we got to talk about our inner child. Like this can't work. 
priorities, right? You know, I got priorities. I mean, I want y'all to heal. So <laughs> get the course, huh, girl. <laughs> so I'm just glad they brought that up because I was wondering the same thing. So thank you. Uh, <laughs> I love it. Love it. You also have an emotion regulation course. Yeah, that's awesome. So tell us more about that. It is my most popular course. It's one of the first courses I made. You know, there was a big demand when I joined Instagram in 2018 for psychological tips and knowledge. So I said, look, I can't work with all y'all. Here's what I would teach you in therapy. So my emotional regulation course is massive. It has like a 38-page workbook of just coping skills. It's essentially me teaching you cognitive behavior therapy and dialectical behavior therapy. It's educational where it's like, here's how to cope with your feelings. I teach you how to map out emotions, how to regulate them. Like specifically, one of my favorite things is like, we make a scale of one to 10, say anxiety. When you're a 10 out of 10 anxiety, what are your thoughts? What are the experiences you have? And then what what are we going to do to intervene? And we do that with each level. Like I really guide you through ways to cope with your emotions. I think that's a great foundational course to couple with inner child work because you're going to get effed up. Like you're going to be tapping into painful memories and wounds. And in order to feel, we have to be able to cope and regulate. So emotional regulation is just coping skills. Yeah. And knowing what to do when you get hijacked and you're freaked out, how to bring it back down. So that course helps with that. My other course I recommend is mindfulness. I think that word has lost its power. It's another pillar of my mental health. Meaning if you can be present and non-judgmental with your experience, you become a mental health Jedi, y'all. Like if you know what's happening and you can embrace and sit with it, kind of a big deal. So it's huge. (laughs) Sorry, I don't offer CEUs with my courses yet. I need like 15 more people to work for me in order to pull that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Um, Are you willing to take some questions from, from people who are watching? What does it look like to fully heal things in a healthy way? I'm curious to hear your response on that. Yeah. Julie, I'm on one. I just got my wisdom teeth pulled out. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, everyone asks me this question on podcasts. And it's like, what is healing? Like, I don't believe in like a we are healed, static, pink, fluffy cloud destination. Healing work of facing things. In my opinion, like, okay, I cannot be as triggered by the childhood trauma I have felt and dealt with. It won't hijack me. I won't get suicidal. I won't get depressed. It is a thing. I'm no longer in it. It's a memory appropriately that doesn't hijack me. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. But it doesn't mean I'm not sad or it doesn't mean it's not part of my story or it doesn't mean it's not my passion or I don't remember it. Just like I have scars from bad wounds I've received throughout my life. Those are still there, but I'm not in the pain. It's not dictating how I live. So healing to me is this ongoing journey of re- how we relate to ourselves. I consider you healing if you are talking kindly to yourself instead of being a butthole to yourself. If you are like, hey, I have compassion for seventh grade me and I can love and embrace her, that's healing, right? So think of it as a relational journey. You're not in the pain. Things feel like memories instead of taking you over and you're connected to yourself. People want the answer I found to be like, you're done. Like when do you know you're done? Like you're not done. This life is gross. And if you are done, you're dead. Like that, (laughs) you just keep going. There's never fully healthy healed. So it's just keep doing it. (laughs) Can you make a shirt that says this life is gross? Cause I will actually buy that. (laughs) 
Oh my gosh. Okay. Other questions. How can we deconstruct or unlearn not allowing ourselves to feel our emotions and not avoid what we feel? Any thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, first of all, good job. You're a good human who knows how to stay alive. You don't want to feel pain. So that's the default. Like step one is really shame or judgment of that. It's okay that I don't want to feel shitty. And then that allows a dialogue with the parts of yourself and removes like shame and resistance. Like none of us want to feel like crap. So have self-compassion for wherever you're at and then small practice moments. This takes practice. It's a skill. So if you're going to the gym and you're going to start doing squats, you don't start with a really, really heavy load. You start with a small amount. Do that with emotions as well. So I would suggest self-compassion. Then I'm going to do a little meditation and be like, what am I feeling in my body? Okay, there's a little bit of anxiety in my chest. I'm going to practice saying it's okay to feel this. So keep this as simple as possible so it doesn't turn into a therapy session. (laughs) Real quick, how do you feel? You give yourself permission, it's okay that I don't want to. And then you say, it's okay to feel what I'm feeling and go from there. Yeah, love it. And I just want to add, label it, label the emotion, because that brings down the intensity, just the act of labeling and saying, oh, this is trepidation. Okay, that fits. Like, So increase your feeling vocabulary so you can say, instead of just the basics, you can say like, I am horrified. I am... (laughs) And that makes it easier to deal with. So I just want to add that. Dr. Jill said the word trepidation so like casually. (laughs) (laughs) I've worked on my feeling vocabulary, Tiffany. (laughs) I need my vocabulary because I'm like, oh my gosh, how accurate. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay, let's, let's see. How do you deal with grief? Your inner child feels against a living parent without dumping them, knowing it happened a long time ago and they didn't know better or didn't mean it. Okay. Okay. I love this. Inner child work isn't about your parents. Okay. So you are taking responsibility and accountability for how you feel now in adulthood. Yes, their behaviors and actions affected you and have impact on you. And you're allowed to grieve that now and feel that. And you don't ever have to have a conversation with them. They might be dead. They might be alive. You can if you want to. And I will give you the disclaimer that 98% of those conversations aren't going to go in the way you hope. (laughs) Okay? Parents have big egos and they're going to be defensive unless they've really done their work. It takes an extremely healthy person to hold space for criticism from their child. So... Think about doing this as a personal journey of I'm going to grieve. I'm going to say, I don't have to protect my parents' feelings or idealize them. This isn't betrayal to them for me to allow myself to grieve and do my work. And this isn't even about them. I don't have to hate them or reject them or cut them out unless you decide to. But you can honor your grief without it being about them. An abstract idea, but the boundary is I'm allowed to be pissed off at my parents And it's not about me actually doing anything with them. I'm feeling my emotions. That's such an important distinction, Tiffany. Thank you for that. That that it's not about hating your parents or cutting them out or whatever, that you're in charge of. It's like, welcome to adulthood. You're the boss of you and you can, you're the boss of your healing. I love it. Love it. Love it. Okay. Let's see what other questions we have here. How to do inner child work with children. What age is too young? 
I don't think there's any age limit, whether you're young or old. I could do inner child work with 38-year-old Tiffany yesterday. Like, I could address a wound yesterday, right? And as well as being too young, there's no such thing. This isn't about age. It's a framework for trauma healing and connecting to yourself through the lifespan development age groups. So if your child has vocabulary skills, let's say they're five, they can process feelings in their body from age one. My son is five. He had a third degree burn when he was one years old. And right now he's been bringing up like, well, how come no other kids have this burn scar? Mm. And I'm like, let's talk about that. How does that feel for you? Well, I want my arm to look like my other arm. I don't want it to look like this. Let's talk about how that feels. I'm sorry this happened to you. Your feelings matter to me. So I do inner child work with my child who is five, who has pain from one, by just simply acknowledging and validating his feelings, teaching him how to work with those. That's all it is, is listening, validating, and teaching. So let me teach you some skills to work with that. It's okay to cry. You can talk to me. You can tell me you're mad about this. That's inner child work is just listening to your freaking kids and giving them the skills they need to cope with their feelings. That's what we're doing as adults is trying to listen to ourselves when we were younger and teach them what to do and saying, instead of being like, shut up, be seen and not heard. Yeah. You're too dramatic. You're too emotional. Stop crying or I'll give you a reason to cry. That's a sad one. Both freaking heard that. That's why we have, we have heard these stories and that's what we're told. So just tell your kids now, don't do that. You're like, yeah, okay to be sad that sucks here's what we can do let's breathe let's talk about it let's do an affirmation let's cry let what do you want what do you need and what i found is as i do my work i'm much and you already mentioned this i'm so much more able to tolerate their emotions and them saying mom that hurt me you know when you said this or when you did this that really hurt and i can say totally like I can hold that for you and I'm so sorry and let's talk about what that meant to you and what you know what can I do to to make that up and so do your own work do your own inner child work is the best gift you can give to your kids oh that's beautiful Julie I I admire that I admire that my dad was that way my dad and I had a rocky history I talk about that on my Instagram sometimes but when I had haunt conversations with him in my late adult And as an adult, he would say, I'm sorry, and would wrestle with me and have those conversations and take accountability. And that is rare. Unfortunately, right? So for those of us who don't have parents, or our parents are gone, or one, you know, someone isn't able to be like, I effed up, and I'm going to hear the impact that had on you. And let's work through that. The good news is, is you don't need that to be a cool, loving parent to yourself that you can step in where they failed. All of our parents fail us because they're not us. I'm failing my kid. You're failing your, like, it's okay. You don't need a parent to hold space for you to heal. And you know, what's wild. Even when my dad did it, perfect, held space, said all the right things, became my best friend. I still have the trauma in my body that Tiffany has to heal. Like my nervous system doesn't heal just because my dad was like, I love you. And I'm sorry. So even if your parents do it right, it's not about them. You have to take accountability for your body, your nervous system, your physiology, your trauma, and be that loving person to yourself. This yeah. isn't a parents. I, w- I wish it was. And people but, will often say, you know, I don't 
I don't want to go to therapy because it's all about blaming your parents. I'm like, no, it's about taking responsibility for your own life. So I, I love what you're, what you're saying. I'd be nice. Um, like, yeah. oh, I'm so mad at my mom. Now that fixed everything and I don't have to do anything. Like that makes no sense. <laughs> okay. Here's another one um, for you, Tiffany. How to help a spouse tap into their inner child. He grew up with instability and now he's so inflexible. How can I help? I have so much compassion for that, right? Like so many of us overcompensate and you already made that connection, like instability leading to kind of this pendulum swing of rigidity and control. Imagine why, right? Like what's the feelings that he had to deal with? So I would step in as a partner and listen and validate and teach the same. That's my three-step process for inner child work. Listen to him. Well, yeah, what was that instability like? And he's going to tell you and you're going to validate that. That's so scary. And you didn't ever want that to be your life in the future. So no wonder you're really rigid or inflexible. And teach. Now, that's tricky as a spouse, like, right? Like, we don't want to listen to our spouses. So more what I would do is be curious of like, well, is this working for you? Is this causing distress? How can I support you? I care. I want to be here for you. If you want to change this, I'll support you. My spouse, Mr. Rowe, just hopped in and said validating is the key, like mm. listening, validating and just being there. Like, so how do I get your back? That validation of your spouse. You can't control your spouse. Like, good luck being like, you need therapy. That's not going to work. So validate and be there for them. What would you say, Julie? Yeah, I, I would say amen. And I would add express the impact on you. Just like this is the impact on me. FYI, like emotionally, and you taking responsibility for that because sometimes people aren't motivated by like because they don't value themselves, but they they value you more than themselves, and so sometimes they'll they'll look at it if they know it's hurting you. So I think just owning the impact of the in, inflexibility can be helpful too. But yeah, validating, listening, and you brought up the word curiosity, curiosity. I think is like, we can't underestimate the importance of just asking good questions. Well, tell me more. What was that like? And, you know, like as therapists, we know how to do that really. but Probably a lot of people listening don't know. Ask open-ended questions. Do not say, was it, was that hard? Yes or no? Was that, you know, well, tell me more about that. Tell me more. That's like gold. Tell me more. Julie Hanks is calling all y'all out. I mean, we could go off on the power of that and why we don't do that because why we're so obsessed with toxic positivity and invalidation because we're uncomfortable with discomfort. What a game changer. Imagine spouses just being like, yeah, this matters to me. What, what's that like for you? It's like, (laughs) what people be like, (laughs) who took my spouse? (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's hard to do though, because their wounds impact us, right. As the spouse. Where do you start teaching your children to feel, deal, heal, and being resilient? I think they answered their own question, right? You help now, them feel, deal, and heal. <laughs> now is the time. I make a affirmation card deck. It's called the Feel, Deal, Heal Affirmation Deck. And my son has been doing this his entire life since he was two and could mm-hmm. see it. I just try to find ways to make mental health and feeling normal. So we pull cards and talk about their positive meaning I focus on what my body does not how it looks like and then I teach him these messages and then I'll teach him how to do a deep belly breath 
teach him to put his legs on the wall to help regulate his nervous system. Um, and he's learning empathy and validation and, and compassion and connection. So I just try to make it normal. And if you haven't already started, start now. Like none of yeah. us are going to regret implementing healthy, connective strategies with our kids. If my mom in her 70s started that today, I would be stoked. Like it's okay if you didn't do it their whole life to start now. Yeah, I want to recommend a book, Raising an Emotionally Intelligent Child, The Heart of Parenting by John Gottman. I read that and I was like, oh, good. I don't have to write a parenting book. Somebody wrote it and it's a lot more brilliant than mine would be because it teaches you how to be an emotion coach to your parents and to your parents, to your children as a parent to your child. And emotion coaching um, is kind of what we're talking about, right? How, how to feel your feelings and deal with them and then, and then move through it. So get that book if you haven't read it. It's like my number one favorite parenting book for raising emotionally healthy kids. Mm. So check that one out. Oh, I just have to give a shout out for the uh, affirmations deck. I, I gave them as stocking stuffers one year, uh, a couple of years ago to my kids. So I'm like, here, here's. They're so fun and so helpful. So yeah. You I yeah. the coolest thing, I think. It's good for all ages. Kids love them. They're great gifts. I mean yeah. positive great. stocking stuffers. So so yes. So thank you for helping build my family's emotional intelligence through that. So I really, really love those. Okay. Um, let's see here. How do we know if we are ruminating or processing? Ooh. I can't wait to hear what you think, Tiffany. Uh, um, my therapist answer is you're going to define that. What does ruminating feel like for you? What does processing feel like for you? What has it feel differently in your body? What's the duration, frequency, intensity? Does it feel different for you? Is there a point where the thoughts are kind of spiraling and snowballing and you're just in your head? Or are you processing intentionally with like, I feel this in my body. I notice the sensations. I can validate them and accept them. I don't, I don't have a perfect objective answer. I think this is more of a subjective experience, but maybe Julie has something more concrete. No, I, I think you're right on. The only thing that I would add is ruminating is like you're not moving. You're spinning your wheels and you're not moving. Processing is like you're spinning your wheels and you're moving. That's how I would distinguish it. They're both painful and suck. But one is you're moving forward instead of just staying in place. Yeah. Even a commenter just intuitively was like, I'd say for me, if I get stuck in a loop, it's ruminating. Like there's this kind of intuitive sense of exactly how you're describing it of like a stuckness. Mm-hmm. Not, it's not going anywhere and processing is more intentional and hopefully energy is moving around. Yeah, I love yeah. that. But neither one feel good. <laughs> like processing doesn't necessarily feel good. So it don't go by just like, oh, this is comfortable. So I must be processing. No, it's like they're both uncomfortable. And one, you're getting, you're moving toward somewhere. And I love the word you use, Tiffany, intentional. Like, mm -hmm. what are you doing with this that's going on in your head? So, yeah. yeah. Okay, let's do one more here. Um, do you think... This movement of cutting people off has become negative and people now cutting off when it could be worked out. So do you know what, do you kind of know what she's yeah. asking? Okay. So my, like, 
when I talk about inner child work, there's two big things. I'm like, this is about you, not your parents, right? And then number two, cutting off is a really big myth or misunderstanding about boundaries. Cutting off is one extreme, maybe necessary boundary. By no means is it the first line of defense. And if people are overdoing that or if it's a movement, I think it's a misunderstanding of healthy boundary work. A hard wall, no contact is not an easy choice. Like if someone is actually going no contact with someone, let's say a parental figure, it's not easy. And it's probably after exhausting all of their other options of conversations and education and rediscussing boundaries and taking space, right? Cutting off is usually like a last ditch effort for people. And if it's a first effort, it might be evidence of like rigid boundaries or avoidant behavior. So I think if you're seeing this as like people just cutting people off willy nilly. Yeah, I have a problem with that. I don't think that that's usually a psychologically intentional thought through thing. It's probably an avoidance technique or a misunderstanding of like boundary work and how no contact is by no means the only option. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a lot of space in between, hey, let's have a conversation versus no contact, right? And from a Bowenian family therapy perspective, like and differentiation of self, it can actually, it feels differentiated, like I'm my own person, but it's actually can be a low differentiation technique. Like I have to emotionally cut off this person so I can be myself. In, in Bowenian family therapy, the healthiest is to continue to have contact, if at all possible. Of course, if they're continuing to abuse you or your family member, you know, you need to protect yourself. But it can look like and feel powerful when it's really an immature move instead of a mature move. Like, so it's, it's kind of tricky. And, and I agree with everything you said. It is definitely a last resort. It should not be like, oh, well, you're not following my boundaries, so I'm not talking to you for the rest of my life. Like, that's not recommended in what I've done in my boundary work or, you know, what I've written about. I would not recommend that. And only as a last resort, like you said. Yeah. And you can all have deal breakers. Like, if your partner abuses you, if they hit you, if they're calling you names, like, you don't, like, you can also cut people off. But we're talking about, like, the gray nuance of, like, someone said something you didn't like like there's a lot of space there and the low differentiation like that avoidance piece of this immaturity I don't want to deal with conflict so I'm just cutting you off and that's powerful if that's how you feel have self-compassion and explore that so how does this protect me how does this serve me if I just cut people off what does that protect me from yeah reflect yeah yeah all right I want to just ask you any any final words or advice about healing your inner child Mm. what's kind of like the the nugget you hope that people will take from this conversation Mm. the relationship you have with yourself is the most really important relationship you'll ever have i love it it's the only one you'll have from birth to death guaranteed Like if you are a butthole to yourself your whole life, hate yourself, disconnected, can't feel, but you have like lots of friends or lots of followers or you have a cool spouse, like we give attention to relationships with everyone else so much. They're so important, right? But I think I never heard this. So that's why I say it. The most important relationship you'll ever have is the relationship you have with yourself. So connect to all ages of you and, and prioritize that. Awesome. Thank you, Tiffany. 
And I want to give a shout out about your courses again, your Healing Your Inner Child course, Emotional Regulation course, your Affirmations card deck. Thank you. Um, and then if anybody's interested in doing some work with me on healing your inner child, my that's the theme of this month's membership community. So we do group coaching around it. We do conversations in the Facebook group. And so please, please join. And I'll put all that information and links uh, in the in the notes. But thank you for your time, Tiffany. And I hope you recover from your oral surgery. <laughs> Thanks for being here anyway. Hey, this is fun. Thank you, Julie. You know I love you. Thanks for having me. It was great to chat with your community. Good to talk with you too. Thanks for all your wisdom and the great work you do to help people heal their mental health. And uh, I just, I love you. I think you're great. So take good care and we'll be in touch. Okay. Thank you for listening to Ask Dr. Julie Hanks, a podcast helping real women seek solutions to life's biggest challenges. If you'd like to learn more, you can connect with me on social media at Dr. Julie Hanks and at drjuliehanks.com where you'll find information about virtual groups, coaching, and online courses. For therapy services in Utah, visit wasatchfamilytherapy.com. thought, hey, I want to talk to Dr. Julie Hanks about this question. Well, now's your chance. I want to have you on my podcast. So email hello at drjuliehanks.com with your question and the reason why you want to be on the podcast. And we may just choose you for a free coaching session.